continuing our sermon series through the Lord's Prayer this morning, and we have come to the fourth petition. Before we uh, read God's Word to us this day, uh, let us take instruction from the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer number 125. We'll do this responsively. What does the fourth request mean? Give us today our daily bread means do take care of all our physical needs so that we come to know that you are the only source of everything good and that neither our work and glory nor your gifts can do us any good without your blessing. And so help us to give up our trust Now, as we prepare to come to God's word, let us again turn to the Lord in prayer. Our Lord and our God, as we prepare now to hear your word, fill us with your spirit that we might rightly understand your word. Soften our hearts that we may delight in your presence Sharpen our minds that we may discern your truth. Shape our wills that we may desire your ways. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. A reading from the gospel according to Matthew in the sixth chapter, verses 7 through 13. Hear the word of God. It is written. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If there was a means by which we could log... All of our prayers, where when we prayed and what we prayed for was recorded and categorized, I wonder what such a log would reveal about our prayer habits. What would it reveal about the content of our prayers? What would it reveal about the ordering of our prayers? What would it reveal about the frequency and consistency of our prayers? What would it show to be the times that we are most apt to pray? What sort of things would rise to the top of our prayers? I think such a log would divulge a great deal about what we find important enough to pray for or not to pray for. And it might show our deep need for prayer or it might show our deep frustration in prayer. 
Maybe it's a good idea for each of us to individually keep a prayer journal in order to at least see the things for ourselves that we might grow in how we pray. But maybe you already have a pretty good idea of what such a log or a journal would uncover about your personal prayer habits. Would it show your prayer life to be robust and fervent, or would it show it to be infrequent and only in times of deep desperation? Would it show your prayer life to be outward-focused, mainly praying for others and things outside of yourself, or would it show your prayers to be very inward-focused? Would it show your prayers to be concerning spiritual or material concerns? And even as I challenge us to consider these things, there might be some of you who are discouraged with your prayer life and are thinking to yourself that you wish your prayers were more frequent, were more fervent, or or maybe you have a sense that your prayers are not very effective and that God perhaps is not listening. It's, It's my deep desire that as we move through the Lord's prayer that you would not only find a model for your own prayers which would help you to become more confident and consistent in your prayer life, but that you would also grow in greater knowledge of the one to whom we pray, and that this alone would stir in you a greater desire to pray more frequently and faithfully. This, after all, is why Jesus invites us to come and learn from him how to pray. He he doesn't want us just to be like the hypocrites or the Gentiles who who seem to appear righteous by having some flashy outward display of piety in prayer using many words, but lack an inward heartfelt desire to come to the Lord in prayer, who act as though they have an intimacy with God by their outward actions when the truth is they have no relationship with God at all. Jesus wants us to truly know how to pray that we might have a true relationship with God, that we might know the Heavenly Father as He knows the Heavenly Father. This is what we are after in our prayers. And what we have already learned is that our primary concern should be for God and the things of God in our prayers. The Lord's Prayer teaches us to desire that God's name would be great throughout all the earth, that his will would be done, that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And if we are earnestly praying for these things, not just reciting them, uh, these first three petitions thoughtlessly in in a rote fashion, our desires would be shaped. What we want would be changed. We can't pray, hallowed be your name, your will be done, your kingdom come. We can't honestly pray these things with any regularity and not ask ourselves, how? How can God's name be hallowed in my life? How can I seek to lead others to honor and respect God's name? How can I ensure the renown of God's name in all the world? And, and how will God's will be done in me? How will God's, God's kingdom come in and through me? What, what do these things mean? We should want to know the answer to these questions if we are truly 
praying for them and aren't just rattling through this prayer as some sort of magical incantation or to simply check the box of prayer for the day. Over the past two Sundays, Pastor John has helped us to think on these things. If you haven't heard those sermons, I encourage you to go back and listen to them. But as we know, the prayer does not end after the third petition. It continues. And it takes what seems to be a sharp turn here at the fourth petition. The first three petitions we focused on, uh, you know, on an upward focus of, of God's glory. The prayer has given us a view of approaching God, yes, as our heavenly father, but not in a, in a chummy way, because after all, God is a transcendent and sovereign king of the universe who dwells in unapproachable light. We are able to approach him by his grace to us in Jesus Christ, though. Jesus has opened the way to the Father for us by becoming like us, that we might become like him. He's opened the way for us by becoming a sacrifice for us, for, by dying for us, by rising for us, by ascending to heaven for us, where he intercedes at God's right hand for us. Through him and the power of his spirit, we are given access to God as sons of God with him. But even as we know God as Father, we should approach him with reverence and awe. And when we approach him, we should make his priorities our priorities. This, this, for this reason, though, the, the fourth petition might seem somewhat unexpected. We've moved from praying for God's will and God's kingdom to praying this, give us this day our daily bread. Now, if we're paying any attention, and not just praying these words in a perfunctory manner, then perhaps this can come as quite a jolt to us. How, after all, do we go from such great heights of the hollowness of God's name, his will, his kingdom, to such small and seemingly insignificant things as bread? Perhaps it it can come across as quite crass. After these first three petitions, it seems very small-minded to ask God for something to eat. It might also seem selfish and materialistic to pray for ourselves in this way. And for some, there might be a feeling that it's inappropriate to bother God with something so mundane as a daily meal. Surely, surely God doesn't care to be bothered by us praying for something as simple as food when there are much larger concerns out there. And perhaps for these very reasons, this is why there have been more than a few who have tried to spiritualize this petition in something other than, well, daily bread. But make no mistake, this is what we're being taught to ask for, food. But why? Why would Jesus teach us to pray for such a thing? Well, there are certainly lessons for us here. There are quite a few. In fact, I want to encourage you to read over what the Westminster Larger Catechism says about this fourth petition. It has enumerated an entire list of items that we can take from this petition in a rather lengthy paragraph in question and answer number 193. I have just three things that I want to note this morning. And in these three, I hope that we will have a deeper sense of God's goodness, his love for us, and the great privilege we have as his beloved children to come to him 
and prayer. So first, praying for daily bread teaches us that God, as our Father, cares about the whole man, body and soul. Praying for daily bread teaches us that God, as our Father, cares about the whole man, body and soul. The reality of our humanity is that God has created us to have both a soul and a body. We are not simply a body, nor is our body some meaningless shell or worse, a prison for our soul. To be human is to be body and soul. God created us in this way from the beginning and said it was good. And when we fell into sin, it was our bodies and our souls that were marred by sin. So God sent his son to redeem us body and soul. He came to redeem every part of us. He came to redeem the whole person. And this is our great hope for eternal life, that we don't just float off to some disembodied spiritual realm, but that our bodies are resurrected in the new creation, where we will live body and soul as a whole person. And bodies that cannot die with souls that cannot sin. And what we believe as Christians at this point about what it means to be human is extremely important. We live in an age where there are many who are asserting that how you or I feel or how you and I perceive ourselves trumps everything. That the physical reality doesn't matter so much. This means that it matters not if the emotional and the psychological are very divorced from the physical reality, but this denies a biblical anthropology, a biblical view of the human being. Jesus tells us to ask for daily bread. Why? Because our bodies actually matter a great deal to our human nature. And it doesn't matter if I don't feel hungry. It doesn't matter what I think I need. God knows how he has created us, and he knows what we need, and what we need isn't merely spiritual. Our bodies are important too. God knows that if I don't eat, then I will die. So as our creator, God knows what we need, body and soul. We are taught here to request from God that which we need. But there is a much deeper glorious truth in this instruction because as our heavenly father, God doesn't just know what we need. He truly desires for us to come to him and to ask him, and he desires to provide for these needs. What a blessed assurance We have that we have a father in heaven who loves us and is willing and eager to provide for us in every way. Brothers and sisters, we aren't forbidden to come and to talk to our father about these things. There isn't something too trivial. Our our father doesn't just command us to only come to him with concerns of his kingdom. Otherwise, leave him alone. He's busy. No, 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 no. He wants us to come to him with all things, the things of daily life, our hunger, our thirst. 
As Reformed pastor and author R. Kent Hughes so beautifully noted, one of the precious realities of our Christian faith and life is that God cares for the simple, ordinary, day-to-day things of life. Jesus taught us to even supposedly, that even supposedly trivial matters are important to God. So he invites us to come and to pray for the simple, mundane things of life. And this is a witness Scripture gives us concerning our Heavenly Father, isn't it? Just a few verses later in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 7, Jesus teaches us that just as an earthly father longs to give to his children in need, so too does our Heavenly Father. Jesus rhetorically asks, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. And Jesus replies, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? What a marvelous thing it is to have a God who loves us as a father the perfect Father who knows our every need before we even ask, who knows every little detail of our lives, who knows how many hairs are on our head, but who delights in our coming and our asking and who delights in providing. Jesus assures us that just as God feeds the birds of the air and clothes the lilies of the fields, even more is he concerned with our needs. And Jesus doesn't just tell us these things about God. He shows us these things about God. He reveals these truths about God in himself. On multiple occasions, we see him acting to feed hungry bellies. Even when his disciples wanted to send the people away to get food for themselves, Jesus demanded that they stay and be fed. He provided for them. Further, we don't just see him casting out demons and opening blind spiritual eyes. We see him casting out diseases and healing the bodies of those afflicted with a variety of ailments. He wants us to be healthy and whole, body and soul. As one theologian put it so eloquently, he whose eye encompasses in its boundless reach the first day of creation and the last hour of judgment, reflecting all the eternities. He whose outstretched arm enfolds the oceans, islands, and continents because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He occupies himself with the trivialities of humankind. What we learn about God and Jesus Christ is that he is concerned with every part and portion of us, even down to the smallest and most trivial details of our little lives. Daily bread. Do you know the Father in this way? Do you? Praying for daily bread forces us to stop and consider this wonderful truth. We worship a transcendent God who is high and exalted above the heavens, but who cares about the smallest details of our lives as a perfect father. 
And R. Ken Hughes was certainly correct in stating the greatness of our God lies in his descending to meet us where we are. When we come to him with our little things, we do him great honor. God wants us to come to him, seeking the basic necessity of our lives, just as children come asking their parents for food and drink and clothing. So we are invited to ask here in the Lord's Prayer. Now, that doesn't mean that we should spend all of our time praying for ourselves. Perhaps if there was something recording our prayers, it might find a disproportionate amount of our time in prayers devoted to ourselves. This petition is positioned here as the fourth petition quite intentionally. Jesus begins with the things of God because it is right and proper for these things to take priority. It doesn't mean that our needs are unimportant but they are secondary. And we come to God asking for daily bread only after we have made ourselves attentive to seeking first after his kingdom and his glory. Further, in praying for our needs, we should recognize that the bread represents the necessities of life. It is those things that are necessary for the life and health and well-being of ourselves and our families. This is This is not a carte blanche invitation to pray for anything and everything we so desire in our fallen humanity. And our prayers can easily turn into that. They can become a wish list of everything we want that we think will make our life happier or more fulfilling or more exciting. That is not what Jesus is inviting us to pray for in this fourth petition. This is not a license to name it and claim it in Jesus' name. As Hughes notes, we are to pray for bread, not dessert. Jesus invites us, rather, to ask for what we truly need to fulfill God's will for our lives. Now, God does invite us elsewhere to come and to ask of him our desires but our desire should be conformed to God's will. Psalm 37, 4 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. If we are first delighting ourselves in the Lord, then our desires, what we want, will be none other than what God wants for us. And he longs to give us these things. If we are delighting in the Lord, then we are pursuing God's glory, which is our chief end. And if we are pursuing God's glory, then we won't want things that detract from God's glory. Our desires and God's desires will align. And in this way, even eating and drinking is done to God's glory. So when we pray for daily bread, which might be seen as a descent into our own affairs compared to the first three petitions of the prayer, we really aren't, as John Calvin notes, bidding farewell to God's glory. We desire bread because we desire to have strength to love God and to serve God. It is all for his glory. Second, praying for daily bread teaches us that we are entirely dependent on God. It teaches us that we are entirely dependent on God. Now, it's easy for those of us living in the 21st century in America to lose sight of the reality that, we, that all we have is given to us by God. 
We, we have this self-made mentality that what we have is ours because of our hard work and our industrial, industriousness. We have jobs where we earn money, which allows us to go to the grocery store or restaurant to buy food and much, much more. And we highly value the seeming independence that comes from the wages that we earn through our work. We like to have financial resources to not only provide for basic necessities, but far beyond that. And there's something to all of this. It isn't necessarily a bad thing. In fact, Scripture tells us that those who refuse to work shouldn't eat. There is value in our work. There is value in storing up some financial resources. But we shouldn't mistake our ability to earn a wage to mean that we can be independent from God. Scripture declares that every good gift comes from our Heavenly Father. All things come from God's Almighty half. We have nothing which He has not provided in some way. And if we take an honest assessment of our lives, then we would acknowledge that we work only because God has given us the ability and opportunity to work. We have food only because God has prospered our work in such a way to give us the financial resources to afford it. But it doesn't stop there, as Heidelberg alludes to. Even if we have plenty of food, it would be no good to us if our bodies could not receive it in such a way that it nourish and sustain us. So even beyond simply having food, the food only nourishes us because God has ordained it to be so. Now, it's very easy to take all of these things for granted, at least until we have no job or money or food or food which properly nourishes For those blessed not to have any of these concerns, though, this petition reminds us that we are entirely dependent on God. We would do well to remember that this was the lesson God was teaching his people in the wilderness by providing them with what? Daily bread. Manna, right? He wanted them to understand he was providing for them day by day their every need, that they were dependent on him in every way on a daily basis. He even forbade them from storing up this manna because he knows our fallen condition. He understands our propensity to make it our all-consuming goal to be totally independent. This is what we seek after in our longing for safety and security and control, but really, we just want to worship ourselves. Our strength, our ability to care for ourselves, to provide for ourselves, to save ourselves, we want to be totally independent. So we must be careful in the midst of our great affluence that we do not allow this petition to lose its power at this point. We must pray this petition with great clarity about the biblical view of life, that God is upholding the universe at every point, even down to the minutest aspects of our life, and we are utterly dependent on him. We are praying then not only that he would provide for us our needs, but that the food we do have would be blessed by him in such a way as to supply us with ample strength for the day. So even when we have in abundance, we still pray for our daily bread. 
John Calvin gave this wise counsel. However abundantly goods may flow to us, even when our storehouses are stuffed and our cellars full, we ought always to ask for our daily bread. For we must surely count all possessions nothing except insofar as the Lord, having poured out his blessing, makes it fruitful with continuing increase. Third, in light of having a God who cares about us, to whom we are entirely dependent, praying for daily bread teaches us to be grateful for his provision. It teaches us to be grateful for his provision. We might notice in this prayer that there is no element of thanksgiving. It just dives right into petitions. It moves right into supplications. This is sort of strange, isn't it? We have other passages that explicitly instruct us to give thanks. In fact, God's word tells us to give thanks in all circumstances. And so we might be used to praying prayers that follow the, the ACTS acronym, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. It's a good model for prayer since we find all of these elements of prayer throughout Scripture. We might wonder then why we don't find any thanksgiving in the Lord's prayer. Did Jesus not want us to give thanks in prayer? But if we look closely, these elements do exist in this prayer. If not directly, they are certainly there indirectly. Consider this. As we recognize that we have a gracious and generous Heavenly Father in whom we are entirely dependent, by whom we receive every good and perfect gift, what truth are we left with? We are left with the truth that everything we have is a gift. A gift for which we should give thanks. As one theologian put it, For if we ask from God the supports of this life, it is proper that when we have received them, we should render thanks. Thanksgiving is the natural and logical flow of asking God to give us bread for this day, recognizing that he provides to us in abundance for our needs of this life. And it's not just bread, right? We should give thanks for all that he has provided us, all of the provisions of this life for food and clothing and shelter and loving relationships, meaningful employment, a a church community. So we should make a habit of giving thanks before we eat and asking God to bless the food to the nourishment of our bodies. But perhaps it would be wise as well as we get up and get dressed in the morning to thank God for air in our lungs, for the clothes we're putting on, that as we lay down at night, it would be wise to thank God for a warm bed and a safe and comfortable home and so on and so forth. And as we consider giving thanks... Perhaps we should consider the meal we are about to eat, the Eucharist, a meal in which we remember and give thanks to God for providing for our redemption. Even as we pray for today's bread, it's, it is hard not to think about the reality that we don't live by bread alone. It's hard not to remember that Jesus is the bread of life in whom we will hunger no more. 
Sinclair Ferguson noted, although it is unlikely that Jesus is here in the fourth petition referring to the bread of the Lord's Supper, that occasion does provide us with the most vivid illustration of what he means in his prayer. In the Lord's Supper, we receive the bread and the wine, ordinary food. But in doing so, our hearts are lifted beyond these signs to the one they represent, and we have communion with Christ. That is just a foretaste of our future fellowship with him. If we have all the food in the world but no Christ, we will ultimately starve. If we have food with Christ, we have all we shall ever need. Because we need both, we daily pray, give us today our daily bread. So let us recognize that we have a Heavenly Father who's concerned for our needs, both body and soul, to whom we are utterly dependent, and to whom we should therefore give thanks. And let us give thanks as we come to this table, understanding that all of our daily needs and desires point beyond themselves to God's promise of the kingdom in which death and sorrow will be no more. We find at this table these promises freely offered to us in Jesus Christ. So let us ask God for our daily bread and let us give thanks to him for it. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we do come as your beloved children, thanking you that you care for our every need. You desire to provide for us. Lord, even as you know our needs before we ask them, Lord, you desire for us to come that we might have intimacy with you, that we might know that everything we have comes from your almighty hand. So Lord, help us. Help us to come to you with the simple things, the mundane things, the trivial things. Lord, and help us to see the way in which you are caring for us, loving us, providing for us at every point, upholding our lives, sustaining us. And we thank you for this meal we're about to eat. Lord, nourish us, body and soul, for we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. In response to the gospel, let us now stand and affirm what we believe using the Heidelberg Catechism question and answer number one. Christian, what is your only comfort in life and in death? My only comfort.